Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello. Now, on today's show, we've got a couple of familiar faces turning up. Now, one of them is returning to the Garden Gurus after a pretty long absence. It's probably been eight years since Nev Passmore was on. I'm really excited. He's got a particular passion that he really has... has owned for a long period of time now he lives and breathes it every day so we'll talk about that with never a bit later on and Nige Ruck is joining us and Nige well apart from being one of the great characters and I'm really interested to see what he's been up to recently Nige is just a wonderful human being so I can't wait to chat with Nige and share that with you now remember you can be asking questions as we're going and I'll do my very best through this broadcast to be answering them we did have a couple of questions from our last live stream that I would like to answer for you. Marianne Oliver from Sydney, New South Wales. She asked a really good question and it was some advice on thrips. They've invited her azaleas, hibiscus and roses. And when thrips really do take over, they can cause a lot of damage. Generally, it's noticeable because of a silvering of the leaves when you're really getting sort of large volumes of them, large quantities. And there's certainly chemicals that are very effective. And if you were to look for a spray, I would suggest you head into your local garden center and have a talk to them direct about what they recommend for your area. But I'm gonna give you a natural one, and this is really simple. And the guys uh, from the paint stores may not like me suggesting this, but thrips can only see a very limited number of colors. And one of the colors they love is blue. So if you get some blue paper and those little blue um, paint um, testers, those little uh, paint cards that give you the colours. If you grabbed a couple of those, stapled them together, popped a little hole in, tied them up, hung them from the tree and painted them with honey, what you would find is the strips would gravitate from the plants to the paper and they actually stick to it. And within a very short period of time, that blue paper can turn black. You'll be surprised with how many thrips actually fly to it, stick to it, and can't get off. It's a nice natural way and a good way to avoid using chemicals. So that's what this is all about. A good friend of ours, Christine Rankin. Hi, Christine. Um, wanted to say thank you for supporting us, Christine. You are a great friend. And you wanted to ask about wandering oxalis in buffalo lawn and also in garden beds and how to get control of it. Now, for a start, this is what wandering oxalis looks like. But what you meant was creeping oxalis. Sorry about the bad joke. <laughs> but creeping oxalis is a significant problem. And generally it's, an, it's a, a classic sort of oxalis with its little three leaves and tends to be red, very fine, and lots of little yellow flowers. 
Now, this is a really difficult one to get control of. In Buffalo Lawns, you can use that Buffalo weed and feed hose on spray, and it is quite effective against the oxalis. The trick is you have to get a full dry day. So you have to apply it in the morning, have the whole day dry. You cannot allow that to get wet at any point during the day. And if you achieve that, you'll knock out about 90% of the oxalis. The real key here is to have the lawn growing faster than the oxalis, and it'll smother the oxalis out. So the way you do that is you wait until we get a little bit of warmer weather and then hit it with one of those super feeders, those super green sprays that you can get. Um, the guys at Scott's have a hose on uh, version of that. And if you're feeding the liquid lawn fertilizers over the top of your lawn, your lawn will grow really, really fast. Now, remember asking your garden questions is something that we're here to answer. So make sure you leave your questions in the comment section below. Now, um, we've got a couple of segments for you on today's show. Now, Michaela, my producer, said, what do you think about the top three veggies? And I said, that's great. Unfortunately, poor Michaela has to suffer through my um, fickleness because, of course, it's very hard to reduce it down to three. And then I thought, well, hang on a second, I'd like to split it between fruit and veg. So maybe maybe the, the title, the caption's not quite 100% right. The first one I wanted to talk about is this. Fresh out of the garden, cauliflower is absolutely fabulous this time of the year. And you can grow it right through pretty much until sort of November in most parts of the country. Um, what is really special about cauliflower is it has a plant hormone in there that is particularly good for the liver. It has great um, benefits in, in improving liver function. But you don't have to go for just the plain white cauliflower. There are different options. You've probably seen the green, which is a pretty interesting one. And the purple and they all look fabulous these colored ones are particularly good if you do something like barbecue them or pop them on a grill and just cook them that way but if you boil them they'll all be white they lose that color and that color is particularly good for you whenever you've got a vegetable any color um, that is a strong color whether it be purple or whether it be you know, green or, or red or, or even yellow, those colours are full of things like beta carotene and carotene, and those are wonderful antioxidants for the body. They really help with your cellular um, strength and health. So please keep your eye out for them. And thinking of things like that, you will be, uh, I need to sort of highlight this, I've, I've got a few bits and pieces. Fresh out of the garden, carrots, are something that we should all grow at home. They really are rewarding. Nothing is quite as good for you as carrots. But everybody thinks of carrots like that. But what about carrots like that? That's the purple carrot. And um, believe it or not, this is actually how carrots originally came. They were purple and they were white in the wild. They were never orange. But the Dutch, uh, ruler, the Prince of Orange, encouraged people to embrace orange as a colour and breeders in Holland worked very, very hard to develop the orange carrot. And when they achieved it, it was such a success, such a big deal, that as the Dutch were migrating around the world and, and farming, they would take them with them everywhere and everybody would marvel at these incredible orange carrots. And very quickly, all the other carrots' colours disappeared. And that was a real shame. The purple almost became extinct. It was just about gone. Thankfully, they've come back. And if you want to know the difference between them, well, certainly the colour is different and it gives you a different blend of plant hormones and chemicals, which are really good for your body. But the most 
I suppose, noticeable difference between the orange carrot and the purple carrot is the flavour. They do have distinctly different flavours and I'd encourage you to try them. They're very good for you. Now, that's uh, two in. See how I managed to squeeze like really four or five? That's two in. I'm going to the fruit. Who knows what this is? This is the last of the harvest of the dragon fruit from my garden. And if you're wondering what they look like on the inside, that is the flesh of the dragon fruit right there. Get a load of that. Look at that color. It is just an incredible color. It makes the most amazing smoothies. It is so delicious. It's become my favorite fruit and it all grows from a cacti. Can you believe it? Um, this is actually the time to be taking cuttings and getting them to drop roots and then planting them in the warm season and they'll get growing really quickly. Now, the last, this is number four, of course, is something that's coming in to harvest off my trees at home and I'm about to pick a whole heap of fruit. That is a very unusual fruit. This is the custard apple and custard apples are a very, very rich source of a whole bunch of different plant hormones. One particular chemical is known to be and is considered to be a more effective fighter of certain types of cancer than some of the chemotherapies out there apparently. So I'm not saying that this is a, a cancer cure. All I'm saying to you is that adding it into your diet is something that you should think about seriously doing. And now's the time to do it because they're coming into season. And the flavor, well, it got its name custard apple because of the custard texture of the flesh of the fruit. It's got quite a sweet vanilla sort of flavor to it. There you go. There's my four wonderful fruit and veg as part of this week's top three vegetables. <laughs> Couldn't help myself, sorry. Now we've got a couple of questions flowing in, so let me uh, answer them for you. Uh, Trish uh, had some magnolias. They had mealybug. And what can I use to get rid of them without killing my tree? They're in pots and they don't lose their leaves. So this is the evergreen magnolias. And mealybug can be quite a serious problem with them. Now, mealybug can infest both the, the foliage of the plant and usually gets into the axis of the leaf, basically where the leaf comes off the stem, and they'll get in there. And this time of the year, mealybug is not active at all unless it's really warm days. Um, it can also get into the root system. If it's in the root system, you're going to need to drench the root system with a chemical. And there are a number of chemicals that are effective against uh, mealybug and I would suggest that you jump into your local garden centre and have a chat to them about what they would recommend. I've certainly had great success with a product called Success, so you might want to think about that one. Um, one of the things I would say is that there are natural solutions, and I talked before about the blue coloured paper with honey painted on it to attract thrips. Well, yellow paper attracts mealybugs, so they will actually gravitate to it. So that and things like whitefly and fruitfly all will go for yellow. So if you're looking for some nice natural solutions, I hope that that is something that, uh, that really helps you. Now, I do have something pretty exciting coming up for you right now. Uh, back in 2012, after 10 years, uh, Nev Passmore and I had started the Garden Gurus back then. Nev retired back in 2012. And in these strange times, we've had some pretty wonderful things happen. And one of the wonderful things has been Nev's come back to the Garden Gurus, which is absolutely fantastic. I thought we'd get him on and have a chat to him about uh, what he's doing with himself. Nev, how are we going there? Where are you? There he is. You're looking good, mate. You know that the sign in the back there is reading back to front on, on your set. 
Oh, is it? Yes. <laughs> it's a, it's the magic of it's a magic of television. <laughs> how how are you going? You well? Absolutely, couldn't be better. Yeah. This garden behind you looks fantastic. You've got for prayers and got some pretty spectacular aloes in the backdrop too. Yes, we've actually got now a beautiful winter garden. So it kicks off around about um, April, May with a particular species of aloes. And we've got a succession now that take us right up until probably the end of uh, August uh, when it sort of fades out. But bibs and bobs here and there of summer flowering uh, aloes as well. So we do actually get um, at least one variety in flower every month of the year, which is our goal. Yep, and I, I know that um, I know that there are wonderful pollen source for uh, for birds and bees because I've got a huge amount of activity because there's not a lot in flower this time of the year, so they they are a pretty important player, aren't they, in the garden? Well, they are. I mean, we absolutely love the bird show here, but we've got uh, twelve, I think it's fourteen beehives on the property, and ah. uh, they make an absolute welter of it. I bet they do. Now, Nev, tell us a little bit about Aquaponics and Aquaponics WA. Okay. Well, uh, the business was started by Delia when uh, she was trying to grow veggies for the family in Southern River, which is some of the, uh, the worst dirt in town, and didn't mm -hmm. have much success. She got onto the idea of hydroponics by... Um, looking at an outfit that was selling indoor plants um, in the day in expanded clay. And took the idea, um, modified it to, to use material she had like uh, blue metal out on the road and, and got it started and uh, was so impressed with the results that it became a lifelong mission to actually promote that uh, as a way of growing food particularly, but plants in general. So that kicked it mm -hmm. off. Um, and so she's been doing that for some 35 odd years now. And that's culminated in the business next door, which has a demonstration farm out the back to show people how to grow tomatoes, eggplants, bananas, uh, mangoes, uh, avocados, you name it, uh, in these systems. I would love it if you would, for the coming series of The Garden Gurus, I would love it if you would take us for a bit of a walk through and, and show the, the demonstration area for us. It would be a fantastic thing for viewers to see. Yep, well, that's certainly uh, on the plan. So uh, we can mm -hmm. do that. Um, and the, as the banana house at the, at particular, in particular at the moment looks sensational. And one of the favourite sounds that we have when we're operating down there is a customer coming in and taking a look at something and saying, oh my God, come and have a look at this. And <laughs> every day and it's just so exciting, you know. And that is, the, that is the genuine reaction you have when you walk into that beautiful big dome full of bananas, giant banana plants and, you know, fruit coming down everywhere. It's just fantastic, isn't it? Yep. And the other one is uh, when we feed the barramundi. Now we've... Mm -hmm. we've uh, We've had to uh, harvest the 11-year-old barramundi that were in the in the tub uh, earlier this year. So we've got about 30 uh, already plate-sized barramundi in the in the same two and a half thousand litre tub. But when they now just they, just uh, just sorry, Nev. Yep. I was going to say just just before you go into that, take everybody back a step and explain the relationships be between, uh, I suppose 
aquaponic or aquaculture and hydroponics and how they come together to be aquaponics? Okay, well, hydroponics for openers is basically growing plants in a medium and using uh, a nutrient solution to supply the food. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's the basic system. Aquaculture is growing uh, fish either in ponds or even in nets in the ocean. So it's basically a mass form of growing fish for eating. Uh, and the, the combination is aquaponics where you have um, a system with say a pond uh, and a grow bed with plants in it. The concept is that the fish um, excretia becomes the food for the plants and it's pumped through the grow beds. Um, the plants take out the nutrient uh, which then makes the water suitable for the fish to continue to live so it takes out the ammonia and all the other uh, nitrogen sources and and, uh, and so you get very fast growth with plants and at the same time the fish are very healthy and can live as I say for well in our case our, our longest living fish for 11 years. That's amazing now you, I mean you could do you could sort of have goldfish but you can also be extremely productive and have a whole bunch of edible fish you've just talked about barramundi. Yep. Now, barramundi are tropical fish, so they, they must have hot water, well, warm water anyway. Uh, they get sick when the water gets below 20 degrees Celsius. Trout, on the other hand, love the cold water, so they're perfect for growing in winter. When the temperature gets to 20 degrees, they're in trouble. It's too hot. Mm-hmm. So you can actually buy fingerlings, which are about yay long, um, and within the the season a six-month season grow both barramundi in the summer to plate size or trout in the winter to plate size so you can actually use the same system and have two completely different crops of fish so you're effectively farming fish but at the same time you've got this ongoing supply of fresh vegetables and herbs etc coming out of the out of the aquaponic system at the same time right yeah, and in fact, we had a bit of a surprise this year. We we figured that the nutrient coming out of the uh, aquaponic system would not be particularly rich, uh, but we stuck a couple of tomato plants in there, and the damn things did better than the ones growing in hydroponics in the house. Now, that's wow. completely got us foxed, but uh, so it certainly can work very effectively. And I would imagine the only input that you're putting in here is the food that you're providing the fish, right? Yes, and and that's worth commenting on because you don't want just any old fish food. You do need to get one that's specifically formulated for these uh, edible fish systems. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's worth checking out when you when you're buying your fish food. Wonderful, Nev. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. I'm like I've seen the first episode of the Garden Gurus. Your uh, first stories. Fantastic. It's so good to see you back on TV, mate. It's really, really, really good. Um, if people want to get their hands on some more information, they could visit hydroponicexpress.com.au. And that's that's express without the E. So it's hydroponicexpress and uh, .com.au. And, of course, if uh, they want to come and see you in person and they happen to live in Western Australia, they can um, come for a drive out to Canningvale. Well, yes, I'm not there all the time, but uh, give me the good chance. <laughs> oh, make a drop drop a phone call in. Imitation farm. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Thanks so much. It's 
absolutely brilliant having you back on the show and back in in the gurus it's really good looking forward to seeing uh, all these stories that you're doing for us at the moment they look fantastic thanks for joining us today okay have a good one all right cheers mate oh how good's that absolutely fantastic to catch up with ev i'm just uh just thrilled the guy's knowledge is incredible and his passion is something that is infectious and you'll see a lot of that coming through over the next well the next 18 weeks as we do the garden gurus back in the beginning when we first started um, one of the companies that we worked with and one of the products that we use continuously and none of us have stopped is a product called Seasol. You will know it, I'm sure. Now, I, I need to be careful. It is Seasol, as in sea solution. And this is a seaweed solution that is absolutely brilliant for plants and for gardens. And this is my product of the week. This is one of those garden shed essentials that you've just got to make sure you have a bottle of it sitting around the outside. Now, I'm telling you this because I want to make sure that your garden soils are healthy and that is exactly what Seasol does. Seasol is all about enriching the soil's health. So this is in effect feeding the microbes in your soil. And a lot of people will say, oh, look, I've been feeding my garden with Seasol and at first it really took off and now I'm not getting great results. And the reason is that Seasol is not a fertiliser. It really is a soil tonic. This is about getting the soil healthy and functional, getting your microbial population built up. That's all those little tiny bacteria and fungi that are so good for plants. In fact, absolutely essential for taking mineral nutrients and connecting them with plant roots. That is what this stuff does. But this time of the year, it does a few other things too. So if you're applying this over the foliage of plants at the moment, what you will find is they will weather through some of the stresses that are coming through with cold weather. So frosts, if you're getting a lot of frost in your area, applying sea salt solution over the foliage of plants and ideally a couple of days before and, and, and perfectly um, the night before you get a frost, you'll find that those plants do not suffer the cellular damage, the burns on the foliage that you'll see normally. It really is remarkable and there's one other thing I'd recommend, a lot of us at the moment are starting to plant seedlings in our gardens and when you do that, grab your sea sole and um, literally put up a solution in a bucket of water before you plant your seedlings out, pop the whole punnet of seedlings into the liquid, let it sit there and soak it up. Now what it does is it assists with transplant shock, it stops the seedling going into shock and dying or withering or being set back and it stimulates new root growth. So not only will your seedlings hit the ground and not go backwards, but in actual fact, they'll motor fast forwards and grow quite quickly. That's a, a really wonderful product and it's certainly an essential product you should have in your garden shed right now. Now, uh, we've got a, another questions come through. David Weaver, what is a good tropical climber apart from Jasmine and Venusta? Okay, well, there's a lot of climbers that are out there. One of my favourites, and it's um, it's a really cute little plant. It's called the snail creeper, Phaseolus. Now, it's got these cute purple flowers. There's two types. There's one that's a little smaller flower, and there's one that's a double flower. And um, the vine is not an overly vigorous vine. It's something you could grow in a large pot with a with a nice trellis holding it up but the flowers are gorgeous. Now the double, the bigger one, 
They don't produce as many flowers, but those flowers are beautifully fragrant. And mate, if I was gonna recommend anything, I would recommend that one. Um, one other that I'm a massive fan of is something called Quisqualis indica, um, the rare Rangoon creeper. And it is gorgeous. It's clusters of long flowers that are tubular. They're sort of a dark red and they are, um, they're wonderfully fragrant just wonderfully fragrant and during the summer smothered in flowers and the perfume is just to die for now it can be quite a vigorous climber so make sure you've got a bit more room two options i hope that helps now <clears throat> we've got uh another familiar face coming our way this guy well he has got to be the joker of the garden gurus there is no doubt about it he's got some great gags massive character and what Nigel Ruck doesn't know about landscaping, it isn't worth knowing. So I'm hoping Nigel's going to pop up on the screen. I can see you, Trev. Oh, I can see you. Oh, you're looking good. Uh, May I compliment you on your know. rubber tree, Nigel? Well, I knew you. I didn't want to be out ficused, right? <laughs> <laughs> I Listen. knew you had your, lyra, your, your fiddle leaf in the background there. I'm looking at it now. I thought, well, I, normally this is sort of out on the balcony. Uh -huh. And I bring it in because it's a great, it's also a great indoor plant too. That, they're a wonderful indoor plant. And, and you know, when it comes to indestructible, these guys are almost indestructible, aren't they? Very much so. Uh, I love the ficus for, one of that, that, for that reason, the drama that they create. Um, hey, mate, you're looking, you're looking pretty good. Yeah, well, I've You're got the special. Healthy. I bought a new Mac recently, and I've got the one installed with the special lenses. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> no, I'm just busy with work and just busy with work and eating well. Um, you know, good diet, and it's been it's been mild here in Sydney. So, so t tell me, what are you up to at the moment, Nigel? What are you? What are the projects you're working on? I'm doing a. Um, a big uh, waterfront on the northern beaches that we've been on since, you know, we, we, we jumped in and out over the last year, but we've been on it solidly since April. Uh, wow. And that's been huge. And um, so that's just kept us going. We've, uh, we've been, we did some big large tree crane installations, probably the biggest Monstera Deliciosa in the country. Uh, really? which is on my yeah seven meters tall it was um so there's a guy not, not far from me who specializes in really super advanced uh plants palms he's got everything and um he got it out of the ground it was growing on an old tree stump and so we craned that in and while we're on the topic so this is what it looked like this is what it looked like probably 40 years ago. <laughs> and this thing, it's on my, like I say, it's on my Instagram. So I was going to say, your Instagram showing the photos of all the activity, right? So you can see the, the enormity of this project, the cranes, craning huge plants and trees in, right? Yep. So we did the monster. We had the crane there three times, uh, which is a big exercise. Yeah. Um, we did a, we did a, some three or four huge giant Strelitzia, Strelitzia Nikolai, uh, a couple of really big golden canes, sort of seven metres. This was mainly for screening and greening, you know, immediate, yep. immediate. Uh, the big Monstera. How, how big was the crane? 
we had the 90 ton crane there twice and then we then we had to get a bigger crane because of the rains you know so we had a 130 ton crane wow uh, i mean there's five people on the street just managing the traffic and the pedestrians That's you know insane. it's a major setup so the the, the 130 ton crane had two semi-trailer support trucks just with the counterweights, 42 tons of counterweights. Um, so that was fun, you know. I mean, we don't, you know, we, I've done a few like this, and when you, when you get to do them, if, as long as you've got to be organised, but it's amazing to, to yeah. be involved and to be lucky enough to have clients, you know, who can do this type of thing. So we yeah. did the big Monstera. We've done, we did an amazing Dracaena Marginata, probably... Oh, that'd be a good seven, six, seven metres tall. Sure. Uh, three and a half tonnes. We've got that in. Uh, we did a couple of massive yuccas, like m huge, multi-trunked, big pandanus. Wow. Uh, we did, we did three poinsianas, the Delonix yeah. poinsianas. We've got three of those in. Um, so, yeah, that's been fun. And, and so that's been done. And now we're Can doing all of Sorry? Can I ask you a, te a technical question? Yeah. You know, when you're putting those super advanced trees in, um, it, it's not as simple as digging a hole and popping them into the ground. You, you've got to obviously do some things to stimulate growth and root activity. What are you doing to, to get the best results? Well, that's a good question. So we, what we did uh, prior, it's all about the soil and the drainage. Yep. So what we did prior to, you know, it's, it's, it's on the water. We were a little elevated. So there are, there are challenges like rock, uh, bad, poorly drained soil potentially, not on our site, but heavy clay yeah. uh, services. So these root balls are, you know, a metre high, a metre by about 1,500 by 1,500 uh, square. So really big. So what, wow. we, what we've done in this situation on uh, quite a few of them is we landed them. We had problems with services, pipes like sewer, stormwater, yeah. gas. So what we did, we landed them on the ground, some of them, and yeah. we did some test digging first and realised, you know, we only had so much depth. So then we go the other angle and we were lucky that we could do this. Uh, we actually built raised beds around them. So we landed yeah. sort of three or four big boys, positioned them, and then some, and then adjusted the bottom of the root balls with, with an 80-20 soil mix, which is getting to your uh, question. And then we've built walling out of out of sleepers and the beautiful uh, hardwood sleepers which we're going to also stay wow. and we created these raised beds so the advantage there with them we're now completely controlling the drainage uh completely yeah. controlling the soil mix and you also get another meter of height uh you know you get more yeah. bang for your buck so uh but in another area we've um we're in ground completely and we you know it's just preparing the site preparing the holes yeah the, the soil mix generally we backfill these with an 80 20 soil mix so very like you'd use a top dressing for for lawns very yes. similar it's excellent drainage and really good stability yep and and then on top of that we would then have like an organic layer just at the light the, the top sort of 100 150 just to sort of slowly feed through with, with that enormity of picking the, the plant up on a crane and swinging them through the air and everything that goes on, is there a risk of transplant shock and things like that? Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, a, a lot of it comes down to what plant you're using. So, yeah. for example, the yuccas are almost bulletproof. 
they, they, even that, but even though they were in ground and they get dug out of the ground, the guy's got a bit an excavator with a big saw attachment. But even something as tough as a yucca will will, will suffer some transplant shock. The, yeah. the, the strelitzias, golden canes, pacentias, dracaena uh, marginata, all that type of material, very tough. Right. So. So as long as we're not, you know, we did a similar exercise a few years ago where they went from uh, quite a protected sort of inland site where the guy has all this stuff to a very uh, windy coastal situation. So they got knocked around a bit for about a year. It took a year, not too bad. I mean, they didn't go to, they just take a little while to adjust. So. I was gonna say uh, pretty, pretty much any transplant job you do, whether it be a small plant or a large plant, um, there's always about a year of settling in anyway, isn't there? It's a new environment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, it just adjusts. You know, we've been doing this basically through winter, which has been advantageous in many ways because we haven't, there hasn't been the heat stress, but we're, we're very much north facing. It's a beautiful microclimate. So there's been the warmth, you know, to help settle in, but there hasn't been the full stress of, say, middle, midsummer. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it obviously, you know, it was only a matter of time before I mentioned the fact that we've been, we haven't been shy with the sea sole either. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. Fantastic for this kind of caper, you know. I mean, um, it's. Is it because uh, it's it, so good in that transplant shock? Totally. Um, controlling. Yeah. Totally. So it, it's, it's, that's what it's amazing for just the, the, the health, um, the health and the immune boosting properties that the seaweed gives and just helps settle them in. Yep. So, so that's been a lot of fun. And then uh, now we're at the stage where we're doing all the underplanting and we're probably, we're not far off finishing, I'd say another two, three weeks. Uh, maybe you'd do us a favour and uh, do a story at some point through the coming series and show us around the garden. Do you reckon you can get us in there? Maybe. I mean, it's a private residence. Um, yes. You know, a lot of these places, uh, yeah, I can always ask the question. That's I awesome. mean, it's the old saying, there's always a price. <laughs> <laughs> what about a bottle of sea salt? Well, let's throw in the sea salt. Yeah. <laughs> we'll throw in the sea salt and we'll clear up afterwards. <laughs> hey, Nigel, um, your first story in the first episode of The Garden Gurus is an absolute doozy. You found an awesome garden centre and um, some really good advice on indoor plants. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a fairly, um, it was a little bit of a wet day, but it, it added to the to the fun, beautiful little uh, nursery in, in Sydney called um, I Ivy Lane, a yeah. uh, real boutique. It's actually set up in the back of uh, this lady's house. Uh, and it, it's a very cool place. Um, and she's got some beautiful plants, some of which I have here. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure this, I've got a few here that I, they're part of my favourites and also feature in the story. I'm just going to get you this one. This is a really cool plant, the Ripsalis, right? Come on, if you can see that. I saw you do the feature on this. Yeah, so, so this, this is hanging, uh, this has got about a metre on it, but they can hang a lot for, I mean, it's only a small, it's only in a small little hanging basket there, but this features yep. in, in there, the Ripsalis. It's a fantastic indoor Plant. I think they're from uh, the Caribbean areas where they're native to. Wow. Uh, wow. Th this this features the Ripsalis. So there are a few different species. I think this is Bacifera. Um, just a really cool looking plant. 
almost like green it, red it light. Looks, it looks kind of like a succulent night. Yes, it, it, it very much so, very succulent type stems. It also yeah. gets, um, so that, you know, you can imagine that gives nice toughness. So yeah. it doesn't need a lot of water. Um, it likes, uh, it doesn't mind a bit of humidity, but it's, it's quite adaptable. It gets a beautiful little flower as well on, on these nodes. Off the nodes, you get these really small white flowers, sort of spring, summer. Uh, uh, yeah, great plant. And um, so, so that's in there. It features in there, the Ripsalis. Well, let's not give it all away. No, well, I won't, because I haven't got them all here we, anyway. We want, but I did want to mention... We want I did want to mention this one here, right? Another fave. Lovely. You know, you're, you're big on these, the Phalaenopsis. And, yes. and ever since uh, years ago, when I, when, when I went to Taiwan on Explore, and I went to the, the Thai... Is that when you got the Thai from the, um, from the mayor of Taiwan? Well, on cue... Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> I just can't help myself with the props. I can't help it. So that's the mayor. I've still got it. The mayor of Taiwan. <laughs> and I wear it occasionally. Yeah. Yep. The mayor of Taiwan gave me that tie. So there so, we go. So I've always had since then. I mean, I always liked orchids, but since then it really opened my eyes to orchids. So I've always been a big fan of of orchids, and the Phalaenopsis uh, is one that I thought I'd bring in. So yeah, it was a good story. I, oh, I enjoyed it anyway. That was a great story, mate. It's really, really good. It's great to, great to see you looking so well. It's obviously pretty difficult times. How's things going in Sydney at the moment with COVID and how it's impacting our community? Well, I mean, it, it, you know, we're not, uh, we're not as bad as, um, as Melbourne and Victoria are at the moment. I mean, oh, but it's starting, we're getting the beginnings of a second wave very much so. We've been, you know, uh, we, I think so far we've got through relatively unscathed compared to some yep. other parts of the world. But, uh, you know, it, 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 we're, I don't, we're a long way from out of the woods yet. Personally, we've been, I've been lucky because it's been pretty much been business as usual uh, with, with, yeah. my, with my industry. In fact, we've been busier than ever. Uh, yeah. So I've been lucky there, you know, I mean, when all this came about back in March, I mean, I was over, I was over doing uh, Garden Guru stories uh, early March in Perth mm -hmm. and due to come back, I think 10 days later, and then it just, everything just shut down from then. So since then, obviously it's escalated, uh, you know, it's causing all sorts of dramas, but you know, when there was talk of lockdowns and all of this, and I was actually, you know, I was quite looking forward to having a couple of weeks off. I thought this would be great, yeah. but that never happened. We got just got busier. But you know, yeah. everyone's obviously being careful, uh, social distancing, cleanliness. So uh, you know, I mean, what do you do? You, you know, it's it's just been for some people, it's been a nightmare. Just yeah, just stay safe, mate. Keep those indoor plants in, cleaning the air inside. I'm looking looking forward I'm to surrounded by them. I wanted to, I brought them all out for you. Now, mate, before you disappear, Michaela, a producer, um, she did point out that in the background there might be a uh, a guitar there. Do you think you could leave us with a little bit of bit, bit of a song? Yeah. Well, I don't know about song, but <laughs> I've always been a big fan of the reggae. Okay. And, um... A little bit of Marley. No woman, no cry. <laughs> probably, probably a, bit, it's a lot better when I plug it in. Every now and then I plug it in to Nate. The neighbours don't like it, all right? 
Jesus shapes half the suburb. <laughs> yeah, if you if you if you sort of got the music on of a couple of Eno's and then we get the bass out, look out. <laughs> okay, I might have experienced something like that in the past myself, mate. Yeah. Hey, listen, great catching up with you, Nige. You too. You you take care. I'm looking forward to seeing you again real soon, yeah. mate. Okay, thanks, Trev. All the best to everyone over there. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Take care. <laughs>
And this can be called, this can be, rats can do this um, when there's really huge numbers of them. And uh, the question that Vicky's asked is, will this cause a problem um, with the shrub? And uh, should she wait and see what happens in spring with regards to them regrowing? The answer is the, the rats are probably eating through the bark because it's a very high sugar content level sitting in there at the moment, so they're getting the sweetness out of it. Um, if there's big quantities of them and they ring bark the hibiscus, they will die. So I think that you should be looking at some kind of rat bait or repellents. There are some little repellents that you can buy. You actually plug them into the wall and they emit a very high frequency that we can't hear, but it does deter rats. Um, it, it tends to be, from what I'm seeing, a short-term solution, but it might be just enough to get them away from the hibiscus before they're seriously damaged. Sapphire has written in, um, Tillandsias, but they never flower. How can I fix it? Well, Tillandsias, for those of you who do not know, are a, a member of uh, the bromeliad family. And one of the Tillandsias is old man's whiskers, you know, the, the one that hangs down out of the, uh, out of the trees um, that originates from sort of uh, subtropical and tropical Americas. This particular one I think you're referring to is probably a Tillandsia sarnia. So it's one that's a, a compact, um, almost throws up um, strap-like leaves in little clusters. And when it's ready, which will be coming in now, coming into spring, as the days get longer. So the thing that triggers the flower with Tillandsias is longer daylight hours. So we're moving into that pattern now. We've gone uh, from the shortest days to the longest days. So you're gonna find over the next couple of months that that will start to move towards producing a flower. And the flower is amazing. It's a big bract, it comes up, it's big and flat, and then it has these beautiful little tubular flowers come out of the bract. And, um, and it's usually bright pink. So it's quite spectacular. It's certainly something well worthwhile looking forward to. If you're wondering what you can do to help trigger a little bit of flowering, there is a cheat that I'll share with you. And it's, if your Tillandsia is in a pot, um, basically get a plastic bag and a banana skin and pop the banana skin in around the base of the pot and the plastic bag over the top of the plant and the, the banana inside that plastic bag. Pop a lucky band around so it holds the air in and leave it for about two weeks. Now, it's um, the gas that's emitted from that. It's a um, uh, ethane gas. If, yeah, so it's, it's kind of... Um, it's a gas that uh, triggers a flowering um, production that is actually replicated in people who grow bromeliads professionally. They'll, they'll use this and they'll spray it over the top and what it does is it brings the flower on. This is a natural product of banana skins breaking down. So you can use that to help ripen fruit. You can also use it to help trigger flower. It's a bit of a, bit of a trick. Let's think, uh, we've got two more questions. So Julie, She's got something eating the older upper leaves of the passion fruit vine, um, something that leaves small black droppings. Uh, I suspect that you've got caterpillars, uh, Julie. It's a bit unusual they're eating the older leaves, but a lot of a lot of uh, passion fruit are quite dormant at the moment. During the winter, they tend not to grow a lot. In fact, some of them will set back this time of the year. Um, it's well worthwhile using something like Success to try and control it, or Dipel um, to control the activity of the ca caterpillars. You don't want your passion for it to lose all its leaves, um, which uh, would be disastrous because it'll take a long time to recover come springtime. And the last one 
and every single session I'm hoping that you guys will make this contribution. Every single session has to have at least one passion fruit question and one lemon question. It's vitally important. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like it's real. Judy, thank you. How can I help my small lemon tree become healthier and grow bigger? Well, the key with citrus, all citrus, is feeding. They're what we call gross feeders. But like you and I, they really are a little bit more selective with regards to the food that they eat. They need a really comprehensive diet. They need lots and lots of trace elements. And if they don't have it, you'll look at your lemon tree at the moment and you'll start seeing green veins on the leaves or leaves turning yellow. Um, this is a classic sign of a lack of micronutrients. So that's why citrus fertilizers that are specialized to the needs of citrus are so important. Now, if I was gonna recommend one, I would suggest that you check out the Troforte M for citrus and fruit. It's got such a comprehensive diet of trace elements. There's over 60 micro macronutrients in each of these little uh, prills that, that are there. But of course the benefit is that you've got 24 beneficial soil microbes as well. So you're really making sure the soil's nice, nice and healthy. You're really feeding the soil and the soil is feeding the plant and that will stimulate the strong growth that you're looking for from your lemon. From here on, uh, the club will occur every Friday weekly at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, that's 10 a.m. in the West, and we would love you to join us. Um, I know that some people can't, you're working, you've got other activities on, but remember you can always check out the club, the feed, from your Facebook page or from our Facebook page uh, whenever you want. And remember, if you've got any questions, please leave them in the feed below. I'd love to answer your questions and we'll certainly make sure we feature them in coming episodes. I'm Trevor Cochran. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again really soon. And we're back. It's series 39. The program is packed full of lots of down-to-earth gardening advice and a couple of well familiar faces for those of you who've followed the series. Digging the ground, feeling good. Just love these mistletoe cactus. They really are a sassy customer. I love to use these fresh leaves cut and dropped into a salad to give you that explosion of fresh flavour. Every backyard needs a lemon tree. They are the fruit tree that keeps on giving. I got my speed, I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Digging around.